Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. everybody welcome to another episode of the platinum sombrero brought to you by our friends at armchair media and our good friends at bet online not only has bet online been with us for quite a while now know us pretty well they're here to bring you as much fun as humanly possible in the 2020 sports season whether that's the nba playoffs that are randomly playing at two o'clock in the afternoon which i thought would be cool but probably not really as cool for the rest of us that work mlb which as we know is about half over already NFL, which we hope is still going to get started. College football, which will be fun for, you know, about a third of the country who's actually playing, whether it's UFC or whatever. Bet Online has you covered all the best all the best and most fun prop bets, in-game lines, everything you need, as well as some simulated sporting events. If you're into the esports, you can check out their Madden uh, their Madden League, you can check out their EA 2K League, you can check out their UFC their EA UFC League. BetOnline.ag has everything for you. Go to BetOnline.ag on your computer or your mobile device and join now to receive a welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. All right, so, Doc, uh, I think we owe the listeners a little explanation for why there was no episode last week after we distinctly said that we were back on a regular schedule. Um, I just want it to be perfectly upfront and honest that this is no fault of Doc's. Doc was a perfect soldier. I dropped the ball, and I apologize. Well, we did have some internet issues that we were trying to get sorted out, and... More like ISP issues, Yeah, because my ISP decided the P part of ISP wasn't all that important. It's the most overrated part of the uh, of that entire acronym, so we tried to coordinate, and ever since, ever since baseball got back on track, we've been releasing on, okay, we're just going to drop this one on a Saturday morning, and ooh, we're going to do this <laughs> one on Thursday night, and here's just a random one on like a Tuesday... So we were really excited about doing two straight Friday morning episodes, and well, we dropped the ball. Thanks a lot, Wind. But, thanks a lot, Windstream. But we're back now. We are back now, and uh, as lo- as long as my internet holds out, because it, it looks <laughs> like uh, actual hell is about to descend on my house in the form of a giant rainstorm. Um, you know, as long as I can email this to you for editing, then we should be set. Speaking of horrific rainstorms, I'm pretty pissed off at Mother Nature for robbing us of Christian Pache's debut yesterday. Um, as everybody, anybody who's any Braves fan, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, no social media, you heard about Christian Pache getting called up. Doc and I have only been waxing poetic and, and pretty much nut-riding this guy for a full year and a half now. And we finally get a chance to see him start and it gets robbed. And I just want to say, screw you, Mother Nature. 
Well, not only that, but today being Thursday, the built-in day off, you know, we, we thought we were going to get it on Wednesday and we had to wait 48 hours for it. So luckily, everybody who's listening to this episode, you know, if you're listening to this on Friday, then Christian Pache's debut is coming tonight. If you're listening to it after Friday, then it has already happened. And we are pretty excited about the way that it went. So, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is big news. I think we all knew that it was going to happen at some point this season. And most people know all about him. Just absolutely elite center fielder, uh, good bat and, that is coming around, power that is certainly coming, speed that doesn't necessarily translate to the bases. And he's just like the, uh, he fits right in with Ozzy and Ronnie and Camargo. They've got like their little swag squad right there. Unfortunately, Camargo is the only one that's there right now, but the other guys are coming back. Yeah, and, and Pache's speed is an interesting thing that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more in the coming days and years that he's dominating in the in center field for the Braves. But it is one of those things where he is graded, last I checked, he's still graded a 70 runner. It's just he's not super, I, I want to say he's not super quick as far as base stealing. Now, he did do much better last year, and we saw a lot in spring training where the Braves had no fear of sending him. I believe he led the team in steals in spring training. He and uh, Drew Waters, except Drew Waters got caught twice and Pache went four for four, I want to say. It feels like it's been three years ago when really it was about four months ago. But um, really, really excited to get to see Pache tonight if you're listening. But recording this on Thursday, really excited to see Pache. Now he's probably going to be in left fields, what was announced last night. Before we get into anything else, I just want to ask you, Doc, uh, what are your thoughts on Pache playing left field and not right field or center? The way that Truist Park is laid out, range is kind of king in left field. And I think that with right field, one thing, you know, we ding Marquecas on his defense sometimes because he doesn't have the range that we might like from him. But one thing that he is really, really good at is playing the carom off the bricks and right. And I don't know if, if explicitly that went into it, but it wouldn't surprise me if that, that would have been a consideration. And if... If Marcakis was uh, not on the COVID IL right now, then I think it would have been more just as likely that Pache would have been in center and Marcakis would have been in right, that they would have shuffled it around a little bit because Pache is the best outfielder on the, on the team. Uh, sorry, Ender and, uh, and Acuna. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really surprise me. Snit is usually pretty, pretty good about low-impact debuts. You know what I mean? He'll like he didn't bring in Wascar and Noah uh, until the Braves were up fifteen to one in a game last year. I think all of us were looking at that, saying he's going to come up and he's not going to pitch. He's just going to sit there in the bullpen. But then the the lead was big enough, and he said, "Okay, we're going to put you in because the capacity for things to go wrong right now is much less than if it was say like three to one." So for Pache not being in a premium position, batting ninth in the order, it's just show up, do your job. You don't have to be flashy yet. We just get used to the routine in the beginning. Within the next two weeks, though, he's going to be fully entrenched in center field. I have no doubt. And that's a Bobby Cox throwback. Bobby was infamous for for getting people into the game as soon as they were called up, but he would bring them in in low-leverage situations just to kind of get their feet wet. Uh, I, my my take on it was, because there was a lot of people that were talking about, well, if Duvall's going to play right field now with Pache, why was, why was Ozuna playing right field? I think more what goes into it is you're right about the range in left field. I think one of the thoughts is one right field doesn't have nearly as much ground to cover. I think the other consideration is that Ozuna's arm, as bad as it is, is actually probably still better than Adam Duvall's. But I think the bigger issue is you're willing to sacrifice the arm in right field because it's more likely you're going to need the range than you're going to be lining up to to try to get an assist from the outfield. So I think I think it's a situation where Snickers says, I'll take the loss on the arm in right field if I can get the net positive range in left field because it's more likely we're going to need uh, a rangy play in left than we're going to need uh, a throw from the right fielder to, to hose somebody. So I, th- I think that's probably more to do with it. Also, just not wanting to... If Ender's going to be having to play, which he does while Nick is on the COVID IL and while Acuna is on the 10-day the IL, Ender's not going to play in a corner. I mean, it, the optics would be horrendous. Nobody's going to want to see a right fielder or, God forbid, a left fielder that's got ender level of power. Uh, and Pache at least looks the part of a corner guy. And it's it's fair to mention that, don't forget, Andrew Jones didn't come up and play center field. He played right field where Marquise Grissom played center field. I mean, you guys listen to our intro every week. I mean, it's Andrew came up and played right field. And Pache, I would not be shocked to see him 
settle into right field until Acuna comes back, and then I'm I'm on train with I'm on board with you that as soon as Acuna comes back, and maybe even once Nick comes back and ready to go, that Pache will be in center field where he will be for the next ten years. Um, the other thing I wanted the the interesting part of this is uh, Pache got called up because Nick went to the COVID IL. Now we're all pretty certain that he was getting called up anyway, but. My question is, what happens when Acuna and Nick are both back? Does Pache still get everyday playing time? Because I, I just don't see Alex wasting an option on Pache to send him back down, especially in a season like this. No, I, I agree with you. I'm I'm not entirely sure that... I mean, you look at everything that Snit's done this year, and as far as rotating guys and you know giving days off, or even Ozuna, like... They keep him out of the field as much as they can, They they and they will mix and match other outfielders. I mean, you've even seen Riley get some time out there. But even for as much as you're seeing guys rotate, I, I agree with you. I don't think that Pache came up just so he could ride the bench and just be with the team and be with his buddies or whatever. I think they, they expect him to be a meaningful contributor. So even if he's not starting every single day, I think he'll start most days. And days he doesn't start, he'll be a, uh, a late-inning defensive replacement. But as far as the roster crunch goes, you got a lot of outfielders. And if Pache hits, you don't want to overreact to anything. But one thing that teams are going to be looking for is going to be outfielders who can hit. I mean, everybody always needs a good power-hitting outfielder. And I would hate to do it, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Adam Duvall actually get moved just out of a surplus. Like, if they want to go after somebody who's going to supplement the starting rotation... Or if they think they can upgrade at third base just for the rest of this year, well, you know, you still give Riley and Camargo an opportunity in the long term, but for this year, like, they're kind of not really hitting great. So if you're serious about getting a title, then maybe you can just kind of shift your assets a little bit and use Duvall to get somebody because he, this is the best that he has played for, for the Braves. You know, he's, he's been really, ever since he came back from Gwinnett last year, he had that killer season in AAA. And ever since then has has been spectacular both at the plate and in the field. He's made some really crucial plays and some some really clutch late inning hits too. So he could be a guy that might be included in the trade, completely speculative, to to get something for Atlanta to help them for the stretch run and also clear up clear out a roster spot. I I hope it doesn't because Adam Duvall's story is so awesome and what he's done this year has been such a cool thing to see from a guy like Duvall who's never been, you know, a, a, an elite player. He did make an all-star team for what that's worth, but you know, he's he's never been like a number 1 player on his team or anything like that. He's bounced around, he's moved positions. Remember, he's a guy that came up playing third base. Um you're right, really undersold defense through most of his career. It's taken a long time for him. It's actually started to take until he started to decline a little bit for people to, to notice how good his defense is, which is kind of shocking. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think he's a name that will get floated about. And I do think there's going to be at least one outfielder that's traded. We're going to get to some trade proposals here before too long, and um, we'll, we'll talk about those more there. I don't want to blow our wad right now talking about potential trades when that's going to be the brunt of this episode. It's just, I wonder if you're going to see uh, Nick and Duvall go into more of a strict platoon, and maybe if you see Pache and Ender on a platoon as well. I would just hope that it wouldn't be a true platoon, because then Pache would not play as often, because there's not nearly as many left-handed starters that the Braves face, as opposed to righties. Well, and, and another thing to consider, too, is I'm looking at this from the perspective of somebody who's spent his entire life with with 25-man rosters. You know, it was going to be 26, and now it's 28. They're keeping that for the rest of the season. So maybe having that many outfielders is a blessing. I mean, it certainly hasn't backfired at this point. There doesn't appear to be the massive logjam yet, but that was that was pre-Pache. So, I mean, they, they were going to add they were gonna add Puig before Marquecas. I mean, they obviously are interested in tweaking the outfield architecture, as it were. So, I don't know. The next the next 10, 11 days are going to be really, really interesting to see how this team kind of supplements itself. And it could be as simple as bringing up prospects, and it could be as simple as trades, which, like you said, we're, we are going to get to those. How are you feeling? A total right turn right now. How are you feeling about the rotation with what we've seen since we recorded last time? 
Well, I was going to say, speaking of log jams, we came into this season talking nonstop about the log jam of pitching prospects and why it was important to finally start to get some of these guys some looks so you could start to grade which ones of these guys are really ready to help you now as the Braves are not looking to contend in three years. They're looking to contend right now. And, I mean, we, we've seen right now the the rotation, and I say that with full quotation marks, is Max Freed and then a bunch of like dollar store Band-Aids as Josh Tomlin has entered the starting rotation after Stint was surprisingly reticent to put him in the rotation. Robbie Erlin, uh, after giving up a grand slam on what his first pitch as a member of the Atlanta Braves. First pitch! Uh, <laughs> very first pitch, joining Joey Devine in that fantastic combo. Um, Erlin had a really, really strong start. He's in the rotation again. We've seen one... I, I feel like we've only seen one good start between all of the young guys, and that was that two-key start against Toronto. Wright's had some good starts. He's had some that I saw you take away one inning and it's a good start. But this is the major leagues where you don't get to just you know take away an inning. I think uh, I'm not feeling super strongly about the bullpen or, or about the rotation. I feel great about the bullpen, not great about the rotation, which unfortunately I don't think the Braves can go very far relying on Max Freed and then a patchwork quilt of, of everything else. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea or a good strategy for winning the playoffs to have one actual starting pitcher. I mean, of course. And <clears throat> playoffs are a different animal. You know, you kind of ride what you can get out of a guy, and as soon as you see him start to tire out a little bit, you pull him and you put in a fresh arm. I, in, I think, 2016, when the Indians and the Cubs were in the World Series, I remember following the Indians very closely and being just flabbergasted by the way that Terry Francona was managing the bullpen. Like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. It had probably been around forever. I just never really paid attention to it. And so, I mean, you need guys that can go two, three good, solid innings, keep things, you know, you can allow a run, but just one, you know, just keep keep us in the game, right? You obviously feel much better if you've got if you've got a Max Freed who can give you seven innings and you don't have to lean on the bullpen too much as opposed to starting Robbie Erlin in a playoff game, hoping he goes four and then having to cover five with the bullpen. So, I mean, you trim your rotation down to just a couple guys in the playoffs anyway, so you're going to have deeper bullpens. But yeah, um, they got to get somebody. Or somebody's got to step up. And Tukey, in that start against Toronto looked really good. For most of Wright's start against Philadelphia, he looked really good. But you're right, you don't just get to say, if not for these 11 pitches. You know, the we're down 4 to nothing because of those 11 pitches. So, somebody just needs to step up. And, and I'm still, I'm very reluctant. I would love to see Ian Anderson and Tucker Davidson, or Patrick Weigel, friend of the program, Patrick Weigel. Any of these guys that could come up and make a start, but at the same time, I'm really reluctant on that because... It's fun to see prospects. You know, you get that dopamine hit when you see Pache's coming up. It's like, oh, here we go. But I know that if he struggles, there's going to be a giant, loud contingent of people saying that he was a bust or he is not ready or this or that. And because we've seen it with every brave starting pitcher that has come up, and it's just this narrative that follows them around. And everybody wants to use Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox as for the very first year that they struggled. Like, you can just go comparing Bryce Wilson to Greg Maddox with their early career struggles. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a one-for-one, one, and I see why people do it, but guys do need time. Guys need time to develop, and if you call up Ian Anderson and he struggles in the middle of the playoff race, he does get the experience, but it's, I don't know. It's a completely personal thing. I just don't want to hear people complaining about if he has a bad start. He goes out and he walks six over three innings. Like, what happened to your number one prospect? I thought this guy was supposed to be an ace. And you bring up a great point right there, and it's it's a tangent point to or tangential, I should say, um, point to, to what you're actually like what that point was, which is people are idiots and uh, place way too high of expectations on people because we see guys like Soroka and people think that that's what every prospect should do. Um, the the other issue on that is is what you just ended with is he's your number one pitching prospect. He's supposed to be an ace. Just because somebody is your number one pitching prospect does not mean that they're supposed to be Jacob deGrom. Like it, it, there's different levels of number one prospect. Like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Lewis Brinson were both number one prospects in their respective systems. Not one person, except for Joe Frazzaro apparently, actually thought that Lewis Brinson was comparable to Ronald Acuna because you'd be an idiot to think that. And when you're looking at Ian Anderson, it's important to note that 
prospects get rated on different scales. It doesn't just mean like the highest prospects are not always just the guys with the highest ceilings. I mean, we have, if that were true, Izzy Wilson would have been a top five prospect in Atlanta, but he never was because there's this other thing that we have to consider that's called their floor. And if they're not, one of the things that makes Ian Anderson such a high prospect is he's got such a high floor that you look at and say, all right, this guy is at the very worst a number. You, you look at him and, and I don't think you see hardly anybody anymore that's well-respected in the prospect circles or prospect ranking circles that thinks Ian Anderson is an ace. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. Guys, Tom Glavin was not an ace for the vast majority of his career. But Greg Maddox was. John Smoltz was. All three of them are Hall of Famers. It's, a, it's possible to get into the Hall of Fame and not be an ace, I guess is what I'm saying, is just because he's the number one guy in the system, don't think that that means that he's supposed to come up and be Soroka or be what we see with Max Fried now or, or be Justin Verlander. Like That's not Ian's game. And when you put that type of, of expectation on somebody, 99 times out of 100, they're going to let you down. And, and that's through no fault of their own. And even, you know... Just said people always want to compare Maddox to Glavin Smoltz. Just look at Max Fried. Look at his numbers in 2017 when he came up as a reliever. Look at his numbers in 2018. It took him a while to get to this point. Kyle Wright is a very, very good prospect, but it's taking him a while to get there. Tuki Toussaint, excuse me, neither of these guys are actual prospects anymore. They've exceeded their eligibility, but they're essentially rookies or second-year guys, right? Even if they spend minuscule amounts of time in like 2018, 2019, they, these are still just super young guys. You have to give them time. Look at guys like Max. And honestly, look at Soroka. Even for as great as he is, he was very up and down. He was very up and down. Even the, even the start that he made uh, where he got injured against, it was the Mets he got in, injured against, right? It doesn't matter who he got. Yes. Who, it doesn't matter who it was. The point is, he didn't look great in that either. Like, you have to take the bad with the good. And there is more bad than good for Kyle Wright right now, but just just hang with him. It's it's human nature to uh, to demand instant gratification. And I've, I've uttered the phrase disservice a lot of times on this show talking about Mike Soroka did a huge disservice to Kyle Wright. Ronald Acuna did a huge disservice to Christian Pache, no matter what happens, because he set the bar so high. You know, I thought this guy was supposed to be elite. Same thing. Yeah, some, I am at this weird thought right now that with what happened at the beginning of this season and just the train wreck that the rotation has become, are we really about to see where the Braves have to bring Mike Fultonevich back up and Fulte has to be in a position to be the savior of this rotation. Uh, according to Mark Bowman, Fulte has regained some arm strength and he has put some weight back on, which is good. You know, that's step one out of, you know, however. Needed to. Yeah, you can't exactly go from throwing 96 to throwing 88 and tell me that everything's okay. Right, and then and then just go back to throwing 96 from 88 and just like, oh, you, you remember that time I forgot how to throw? Let's all forget about that. I mean, I think Fulte is pretty much a last resort at this point. I mean, if you're starting Robbie Erlin, you know, I mean, he was great against the Marlins. Erlin was. But I want to see him. He's still Robbie Erlin. I still, yeah, I want to see him do that against not the Marlins. So he'll get a chance to do that this weekend against the Phillies. So when you look at when you look at Ian Anderson, it's it's easy to to look at him and say you got to call this guy up. I mean, even when they just did that minor league scrimmage, he struck out twelve. But yeah, he was doing that against other minor leaguers. Just because he's better than other minor leaguers doesn't mean he's going to be better than major leaguers. And not to mention, he gave up a home run in the first inning to Pete O'Brien, who's a major leaguer, a bad one. And that yeah, I was about to say, calling Pete O'Brien a major leaguer, you should be saying it with air quotes. Pete O'Brien does one thing, and that's hit the ball very far. He doesn't hit the ball very often, but when he touches it, it goes far. What about Sean Newcomb? Do you think there's any chance that Sean Newcomb comes back this year? Uh, I think there's a better chance that the Braves bring back Fulte than bring back Newcomb. I think if you're talking about two guys that have similar problems, the guy whose mental problem is he gets angry is probably a better bet than the guy whose mental problem is he gets scared and I'm not saying this to be mean to Sean Newcomb I do think you'll see him back on the roster um, but I think it'll be more in a relief role because the Braves what they're doing with their bullpen is not sustainable it is not sustainable to throw bullpen games three out of five days or four out of five days it's just you can't do it you can't like even though you have nothing but multi-inning guys in the bullpen 
we've got guys that are probably going to hit 60 innings in a 60-game season. If there was ever a season where you could ride a bullpen till the wheels fell off, a 60-game season is the time to do it. But even if you if you were to add another starter, somebody that can give you good, good meaningful innings, like if they're going to get somebody, don't give me somebody who's used to going five. Get me somebody who's going to go, even if they are going to allow four runs doing it, just go seven innings. That's all I'm asking you to do. The offense is good enough to where they can overcome that. It beats somebody that's going to allow two runs over five, and then you just have guesswork. Even as good as the bullpen is, you got to be careful. You got to be really, really careful. And in just a second, we are going to get to some of these uh, targets that we can add for the rotation. But before we go any farther, just want to remind you, we are brought to you by betonline.ag. As Dylan alluded to at the very beginning of the season, we have real and virtual sports going on right now. Go to betonline.ag, put your money where your mouth is. You too can become very rich if you're brave enough to do it. We are also brought to you by Manscaped. Guys, you have an opportunity. You can wait for your wife or your girlfriend or your mistress or whatever to tell you that she's no longer turned on by the magnitude of your body hair, or you can just save the vibe supplication and the brow beating and just go to manscaped.com and buy the lawnmower 3.0. But I've got sensitive skin, you might say. Should I really be putting a trimmer that close to the family jewels? And the answer is absolutely. Manscaped's nick-free technology allows you to trim yourself without fear of reprisal from an angry blade or just from your own clumsy coordination. You can be silky smooth and ready for some slip-sliding action at a moment's notice. And lucky you, if you use our promo code ARMCHAIR, you'll get 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com, promo code ARMCHAIR, all caps if you want to, or lowercase, I don't care, 20% off, lawnmower 3.0 and free shipping. Tell them Dylan and Doc sent you. Okay, so... One thing that I did today, I sent out a tweet to everyone pointing out that everyone is bad at fake trades because they are. I, you'll never see me make them because I'm horrible at them and I know it. But this is the time of year. Trade deadline is coming up on the 31st. This is the first time that it's going to be the non-waiver trade deadline uh, held on August 31st. And the Braves are obviously in a position to add, not just in the rotation, but there's a couple other spots as well. I did promise you that we would read and uh, and rate your fake trades for some of the favorite ones that we got. But here's a fun twist for you is that Dylan does not know which ones I chose. And I'm going to present them to him uh, as though he were Alex Anthopoulos. And we will see uh, how Dylan will rebuild the team at the trade deadline. Dylan Short, are you ready? Let's do this. Okay. So these first two proposals are going to be from national guys. And then we'll get to the ones uh, from, from our uh, Twitter thread from earlier. The first one is from Mark DeRosa. And, this deal ruffled some feathers for sure. This was Austin Riley, Kyle Wright, and Ian Anderson going to the Red Sox for Rafael Devers, Nathan Evaldi, and Cash. I already know how you feel about this deal, but tell everybody else. Oh, yeah, I'm 100% in on this one, and it's kind of odd because, like, D-Row usually proposes really bad trades. Like, D-Row is, is not very good as far as trade evaluations go, but I thought this one is... A pretty good deal for both sides. For for one end, you've got the Red Sox and Hyam Bloom, who has to do something about that that farm system because the what Dombrowski allowed that farm system to get to, and, and just what the Red Sox in general for the last probably five or six years have allowed that farm system to get to is absolutely atrocious. It, it's reminiscent of Frank Wren just selling off every prospect. I mean, we saw what they traded to get Chris Sale, and now granted, Chris Sale's amazing, but they gave up a lot to get Chris Sale. And they continued giving up a lot. So for them, I don't I wasn't under the impression that they would look to deal Devers. If they would, I've seen a lot of Braves fans surprisingly who have been almost like personally offended that that was the offer and I don't really understand why. Yes, Devers is horrible defensively. Yes, he's not doing well offensively this year, but it's not like he's alone. Devers is a fantastic offensive player. He has been his entire minor league career and for most part through Major League Baseball, he's been an above-average offensive player. Last year was a six-war season for him. He's got good bat speed. He's got big-time power. From left-hand side in Truist Park, that's a fantastic combination. And you talk about defensively, yeah, he sucks defensively. Except for 2019, according to outs above average, ironically enough, which is a little bit weird. Um, but I've learned not to, to get too crazy about defense. I've seen what Marcelo Zuna's defense looks like right now, so... Uh, I'll just assume that Devers' defense is bad. But there's a lot of people who are trying to act like Austin Riley and Rafael Devers are the same player or even comparable. 
Uh, that is nowhere near the case. Like, Riley's a better defender. Cool, but there's a lot of defensive third basemen who are better than Rafael Devers. Austin Riley has, some, has a lot of power. So does Rafael Devers. But that's about where the similarities end. Devers has been a better offensive player than Austin Riley every step along the way, everywhere he's been, other than that one-month stretch when Riley got called up last year. Now, I'm talking, well, what about Kyle Wright? Well, you're getting Nathan Ivaldi too. And Ivaldi, he's not a bet to go a lot of innings. There's a good chance he'll probably end up hurt at some point. But for this year and for next year, he's the guy that you can bank on. Ivaldi hasn't been great this year. Last year was rough for him trying to transition from the pen to being a starter or whatever. But Ivaldi's a guy that has really, really good numbers in his career, in his recent career. He's a guy that does a lot of things really well and generally has been a very, very underrated pitcher. I mean, Avaldi for right straight up is a pretty good deal in most years. And, you know, you can talk about he's owed a fair bit of money, and that's true. But if they're sending cash back, I don't necessarily even care about the cash. The The part that's going to anger a lot of people is the Ian Anderson part. But here's why that shouldn't anger you. Austin Riley on his own would not be enough to get Rafael Devers. Kyle Wright and Austin Riley together would not be enough to get Rafael Devers. You have to add in Ian Anderson because they need a reason to trade a 24-year-old supreme offensive talent with sky-high potential who is under contract and go just about to enter arbitration one. There's no, there's no way you can expect it. Like I see people say, ah, just sub out Ian Anderson and, and put in like Bryce Wilson and, and Sean Newcomb as if guys that you decided weren't good enough to be in your rotation or good enough to get you an elite talent like Rafael Devers. So I'm on board with that one. Uh, losing Ian would be would be the worst person to lose in that deal, but you got to give to get, and Ian is not a guy that's projected to be a number one. Now, could he be? Sure. There's like, Nobody really saw There's a lot of pitchers in baseball that have come up and been far better than what people thought. Jacob DeGrom was a 15th-round pick, and look at him now. Um, but... I would I would trade a number three for Rafael Devers. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what your thoughts on it. I'd like to actually hear your thoughts whether you like that deal or not. Um my biggest pause about this would be Evaldi just because of the durability issues. Uh he's making seventeen million dollars a year, and I think he's a year and a half into that deal. So you're getting him let's say that uh the, this new Mets COVID outbreak, let's say that turns into a thing and they have to cancel the season. Well, that sucks for 2020, but you've got him for 2021 and 2022. And Devers, the DH in the in the National League is going to be a thing. So even if his, if his third base defense is subpar, we'll call it, then you still have a spot for him, you know? Ozuna is much more effective just playing the DH because he can't hurt you in the field. And same thing with Devers. You know, he recently... Over the past 10, 11 days or so, his bat has really, really started to come alive. And so his early season numbers really are not indicative of his talent. You know, this is this is why you have to take the, the full career into, into account. So this would be painful, but I think that's really kind of the flag of a good deal. Like, when you are putting together a fake trade, put yourself in the shoes of the receiving GM. Would you really sub out Bryce Wilson for Ian Anderson. And that's not to talk crap about Bryce Wilson, but I mean, Ian Anderson is just every step of the way, he has been the better prospect. Bryce made it to the majors faster, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So if you are Heim Bloom and Alex is like, you sure you don't want Bryce Wilson instead of Ian Anderson? What do you say? Of course you say no. So if the deal hurts, then it's probably pretty and good. And it's not like High and Bloom's a moron. Don't forget where High and Bloom came from. How many people right. have, have screwed the Rays on a trade? Has anybody screwed the Rays on a trade? Uh, I, actually, the guy that the Marlins just brought up, not Sixto, but Jesus Sanchez for Nick Anderson, I think that has a chance to be one that the Rays really in a few years, really wish they hadn't made. Anderson is an animal, but when you're trading relievers, you do have to be concerned with Jesus Sanchez is an animal. No doubt. So, okay, so I think we're in agreement on the on the DeRosa deal. You like it a little more than I do. Now, this this one is from Jim Bowden. Okay, so Jim Bowden, he wrote this article for The Athletic. It was uh, one trade for each team in the East, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on this one. It was Tuki Toussaint, and Patrick Weigel going to the Giants 
for Johnny Cueto in cash? Not a chance in the world. Okay. I, I This is not to disparage Cueto. I think Cueto has done a good job this year, actually a really good job considering where he's been. But Cueto is, is not the Johnny Cueto that we remember. He's not that guy anymore. He's owed a ton of money. Yes, there's a there's an opt or a, a what a five million dollar hit if you drop him instead of paying the twenty something million dollars in twenty twenty two. I think it is, but he's under contract for a lot of money. And while he's effective this year in San Francisco, you got to remember San Francisco is the pitcher's paradise. I mean, look at Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner looked good last year. Madison Bumgarner is not really that good anymore. I would have serious reservations about Cueto. And if the Braves, if the Braves thought that they needed to move on from Julio Tehran at twelve or thirteen million, I I, I think Tukey can be as effective as Cueto next year. I, I don't think Cueto is going to be effective very long. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. He's been doing some interesting things as far as quick pitching and. and you know, shimmying and trying to, to vary up his timing a little bit. But stuff like that, when you do things like that, you're not doing them because that's you. Very well, let me say very rarely do pitchers adjust on the fly and do random timing issues like that unless there's a, a re, there's a big reason why. It's because they've had to incorporate something like that, especially when you didn't have that in your arsenal a few years ago. You started to incorporate that because you were getting hit hard and you had to do something to throw hitters off. Eventually, hitters adjust back once they have a little bit more tape. I am not in on Johnny Cueto. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. That... Is it because that is for Tukey and Weigel, or is it just because of Cueto? And here's why I'm asking, because this next trade proposal comes from Jonathan McCoy, who is a loyal listener of the show. That's at McCoy Jonathan. Johnny Cueto for Ender Enciarte, Sean Newcomb, Freddie Tarnock. I do that. I do that all day. I mean, I would... I would do that in a heartbeat, but I don't think the Giants would. Um, again, you're talking about trading somebody who's failed like 45,000 chances that the Braves have given him. I don't see what the Giants would hope to gain from it. You can say that maybe maybe because Brian Bridges is a cross-checker there, he might have a different feeling, but it's not like he drafted Sean Newcomb. Sean Newcomb was a trade acquisition. I don't think... Tarnock is one of those guys that... He's one of those classic examples of we think he's a good prospect, other teams, other cities, other than their advanced scouts have no idea who this kid is. Uh, and maybe he turns out to be amazing, but it's like it's like saying that you'll sub out Kyle Wright for Jaseel De La Cruz. We know that right now they might be comparable players, but the prospect cachet is different because of the names, and that is very important when you're talking about trades. I mean, the optics of a trade matter almost as much as the trade itself. So on that one... like. I think to go back to your first question about whether it's Cueto or whether it's Tukey, it is it it's a little bit of both. Like if Cueto could be had for Ender Enciarte, uh, let's say Bryce Wilson and oh uh, I don't know pick a pick another guy a little bit higher than Tarnock, then sure. Like let's let's say it's Weigel and Bryce Wilson and Ender Enciarte for Cueto. Sure, I'll do that then because I think that Tukey is a better prospect than Bryce Wilson. Uh, and I think that Bryce Wilson carries enough name recognition that you could sub him for Tuki Tucson. But right now, I don't think Sean Newcomb has much value, period, right now. I think for him, I think that he's about as obvious as a change of scenery candidate as you're going to find. I don't think that he figures it out in Atlanta. I think that he's sick of the team, and I think they're sick of him, too. Um, I agree. But my issue with that, sorry to sure. interrupt you, is... is um, change of scenery guys are usually sell low guys because everybody else also knows that hey his time is up right and and you're also you're kind of looking at it at this as the, from the perspective of spare parts deal where it's like Ender and Newcomb you know what I mean like every, we can all kind of see the writing on the wall that Ender is on his way out and so with this going back to that Red Sox deal real quick instead of cash if I'm the Braves I put Ender in that deal to clear out the roster spot you're the cash that you would get absolutely yeah, the cash you would get is probably going to be comparable to what he's making next year not to mention for the Red Sox deal Jackie Bradley Jr. is a free agent out of this year, and they can plug Ender in center. Um, 
So one more thing about Freddy Tarnock, and I'm going to use that to dovetail into this next one. Freddy Tarnock is such an interesting case because he's one of these prospects that, you know, we're not getting reports on what he's doing right now. I remember seeing a video in the offseason, I think it was friend of the program, Carlos Calazzo, that posted this, of Tarnock hitting like 99 or 100. You know, and he, even for a guy that threw hard, he was topping out at like 97. So the strides that guys like him, these project guys that are going to take time, we don't see them. We don't know whether, you know, it's easy to, to kind of quote unquote throw Freddie Tarnock in a deal because he's like, he's in that third tier of Braves pitching prospect almost. He's at the top of it, but he's in the third tier. But during this this offseason, he was a shortstop when he got drafted, but he got he had started pitching like that year. So he is incredibly raw. So maybe he's made these strides. Maybe not only he has the velo, but he can locate now, which he was struggling with walks. He he's been he's been a project guy, exactly what you would expect. So when we throw him in deals like these, this is dangerous because we could trade Freddie Tarnock and eventually look back and be like, man, there was no minor league season. We couldn't we couldn't assess him. So we didn't know whether or not this was going to be a bad deal. So that stuff is dangerous. And it's the same thing for the the guy that the Braves would move in this next proposed deal. This is from Austin Reach. That's at Braves underscore stats. Not to be confused with just Brave stats. Both of them great guys, though. This deal is also with the Giants. It is Kevin Gossman for CJ Alexander. Alexander lost last year. He lost most of last year after having a really, really good draft year. So... Gossman is a guy who he's got one month until he's a free agent, so it's not going to take like a massive prospect to land him and not a perfect pitcher. Having a good year, but not a perfect pitcher. We've seen him here, so do you do it? Gossman for Alexander? I mean, I would. I'm not actually, I'm not even certain that CJ Alexander is still with the Braves. Um, I believe there's been some interesting tweets from his account. I haven't seen anything about him being released, but uh, I've noticed some things where he's not exactly very happy right now. Um, I mean, I would do that. I don't. Again, I'm not sure the Giants would. Now, there's some history there with Brian Bridges and CJ Alexander, and CJ did have a really good first season after being drafted, but he also didn't perform super well at Double A. I like CJ. Um, I don't think Alex brings back Kevin Gossman. Um, now, that could just be personal bias on that one because I really don't want to see Gosman again. Uh, I've seen enough of Kevin Gosman to know he may give you a couple good starts, but he's going to be Kevin Gosman again before too Yeah, and, and I think it was uh, Jeremy Timmerman, who we have a, a trade proposal from him as well, basically just said it's not that he's having a bad year. It's just that Kevin Gosman is not the guy that makes you a World Series contender, which is fair. Exactly. That's very, that's very fair. I mean, that's fine, but really right now they're just looking for who can cover innings. I just don't think Kevin is that guy. I think the Braves, I think Alex tried that with the what he's, with the package he sent to Baltimore. He thought, hey, I'll buy low with some of these guys. I'll trade some of the prospects, but none of them super highly ranked. I'll see what I can do and see if we can fix him. And you got a couple good starts out of him, but I think it's very telling that the Giants, with their awful rotation, didn't want to start Gosman in the rotation. Understood. Well, we have reached the end of the San Francisco Giants portion of the show, and we will now move very, very Good. quickly to the Milwaukee Brewers part of the show. Now, the Brewers are having an okay year, and I think that as Christian Yelich continues to figure uh, figure it back out at the plate, because he had a really slow start, then I think that they could be increasingly dangerous. But this was uh, half floated by uh, MLB.com, maybe it's Anthony Castrovens, uh, was talking about unexpected players that could be on the move, and he, pr- he proposed... Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta of the Brewers uh, possibly being able to be on the move. Obviously, the Braves need just arms that can that can give you meaningful innings and two pretty solid pitchers. Now, here is the return, and I balked at this at first, and I'm not really sure the more I thought about it that I hate this. Drew Waters, Kyle Wright, Freddie Tarnock, Grayson Genesta. Do you do it? Uh, I don't. Um, I know a lot of people love Corbin Burns, but I he he has struggled mightily as well. Uh, he's still a very young pitcher in terms of years himself. Freddie Peralta has done very well against the Braves, but even Freddie Peralta, I don't look at him. I don't look at either of those guys as being difference makers this year and next year. And if you're talking about dealing Drew Waters, that's a very high prospect. Like what I said about pitching prospects is also because pitching prospects inherently carry unless they're just uber prospects like nate pearson 
pitching prospects carry less value than position prospects. And the Braves, while they have you know Drew Waters and Christian Pache and Michael Harris and, and William Contreras, they don't have a ton of high-end position depth. Like I'm not going to say that they won't trade Drew Waters, but I am going to say that if they're going to trade Drew Waters, it's going to be in a deal for somebody that's going to slot in definitively as a three, but a guy who's talented enough to be a two and is under control. I don't think you're going to see them deal Drew Waters for another prospect that's trying to figure it out. I don't think Alex is going to be in the market to pull a Miami Marlins who traded Zach Gallon for Jazz Chisholm. Like I, I don't think that's Alex's game. No, and uh, and I kind of get that. And I think the biggest, the most attractive thing is the is the team control here because both of these guys are still um, still pre arb. I mean, they're still very young, and Peralta is farther ahead than Burns is, and that's that's a pretty tricky package to give up right there. We just talked about Tarnock, Grayson Genesta, who knows if he's ever if he, <clears throat> if he's ever going to figure it out. He's been given opportunities and I know that he was trying to make some changes to his swing, but we haven't seen that translate into results quite as much yet. Anybody who's listening to this show has seen Kyle Wright struggle at the big league level, but you probably also know a lot about his prospect pedigree, so you know that he's not the type of guy you give up on and Drew Waters is is you know, one of the top five outfield prospects in the game. So it would be painful. Um, the important thing to remember is because of the team control, at least from where I'm sitting, then, you know, Freed and Soroka are going to be the top two next year. I and mean, Soroka is going to miss the first part of the year. But if you've got Burns and Peralta as like your three and four, that's what you're really leaning on them for. And that that's where all of these deals, like the Gossman deal, you don't have to give up like a massive prospect because it's just one month. If you get Freddie Peralta, you're getting him for like five years. So that question is from uh, Christopher Garrett. That's at Kit Copeland 51. Thank you at Kit Copeland 51 for your question. And the next one is from Jacob Suttles. And this is one you and I were texting about this combination of guys earlier today. And I think the next one, two, three, four trade proposals are centered around this team. So the targets are Kyle Seeger and Marco Gonzalez from the Seattle Mariners. First one is from Caleb Coos. That's at K-O-O-S underscore C. Caleb is a loyal listener to the show. Thank you very much. He has proposed the deal of Kyle Seeger and Marco Gonzalez for Johan Camargo, Ender Ciarte, Sean Newcomb, and Freddie Tarnock. Now, I don't think that's enough, but I don't think it's really that far off because even for as great as Seeger has played this year, they owe him a lot of money, and if he gets traded, then his 2022 is no longer a team option. So what do you do? What do you do there? I mean, I think anybody would take that if you're the Braves. I don't think that's nearly enough as far as like what, what Seattle's going to be asking. I mean, DePoto considers Marco Gonzalez one of his key trade pieces because he has a ton of control. I mean, that's that's the I think Marco Gonzalez and Kyle Seeger is the most likely deal to get done. It makes a lot of sense and I would be shocked if that exact if that exact package of Mariners players has not been talked about at length by Alex Anthopoulos and, and the crew over there. I just think it's gonna it's definitely gonna cost more than that. No, I I think so too. And and that's kind of what I what I had, had pointed out to him is I think that, you know you can you can make a point to where Newcomb and Ender, they they are not without value. And even if you're selling them as reclamation projects or like change of scenery guys, you're, you're trying to put a positive spin on where they currently are, right? And Camargo, he is versatile. I've, I think maybe it's just the homer in me. I think that he could also probably thrive much better elsewhere, even for as tight as he is with the current core. I think he probably feels really slighted by this organization, and rightfully so in some cases. Um, but that's still, that's no guarantee. And I think that you would need to attach some type of high-end prospect uh, to that deal. I mean, whether it's whether it's an Austin Riley where you plug him in and see your spot, maybe so. Uh, maybe you have to go a little higher. We did have one a little bit farther down the list, and this was just straight up from Marco Gonzalez. And this is from Ethan WA 552102266. Ethan, thank you for the question. Time for you to update your handle, buddy. Uh, Marco Gonzalez for Drew Waters and AJ Minter. The Minter thing is interesting to me. Mm. Gonzalez is under contract for four years and thirty million, and does not walk anybody. No, and and in that instance, like 
value-wise, as far as the years you're going to get, I could I could make a you case could. for you it. You really could. I don't. I here's the thing about Marco Gonzalez. Marco Gonzalez is a good pitcher. I do wonder how effective he'll be outside of Seattle. Um, his Sierras kind of fluctuate back and forth. He's had a, his 2018 Sierra was in the threes, which is fantastic. But he's also had a few years in the fives. Like last year, he had a three and a half war season, but his Sierra was over five. That's generally a pretty good indicator that he got a lot of good luck at home, where he played a lot of games in, in some pitchers' parks. Like I think I don't. I have never looked at Marco Gonzalez and thought he was a top of the rotation type of guy. And like I get moving Waters in a deal that nets you two guys that are are going to help you out but not be star players. Um, I I don't – as much as I hated on Mentor coming into the season, Mentor has been really been one of the linchpins in a, in a really, really good bullpen. Um, obviously, I could see them doing it. Uh, I think that that's, that's probably pretty close to what it would cost if you just wanted to go one-off for, for Marco Gonzalez. I mean – we talk. We love Drew Waters, but you're talking about a prospect for an established major major leaguer. You always pay more in prospect than you do an established player. So that's probably a pretty fair deal. Um, if I'm Alex, I, I seriously think about it, but I think that I would rather pay a little bit more and get the package of Gonzalez and Seager because then even if Gonzalez comes in and he's you know middle of the road and he's 4-2 ERA. If you trade Drew Waters and just get Marco Gonzalez and he's middle of the pack and he's basically what Julio was without walking people, people are going to be a little bit upset about that, especially if Drew goes out and, and does what we think he can do. I would think that Alex would, would more try to take care of two situations in one. I think so too. I really do. And I don't want to see Drew Waters get traded, but I this happens every trade deadline. Neither do I. I, I I don't want to see him go. Let me clarify. I don't want to see Drew traded at all. Drew, if you're listening, I don't want to trade you. Um, but if we're doing this exercise, we do have to consider that opposing GMs are not all idiots. They're not all Dave Stewart. Like there, there are some that are, and they're not all Mike Rizzo. Let's say that too, because that that Adam Eaton deal was absolutely horrendous too. Um, teams aren't stupid. They know who your good prospects are. So. If the Braves want to get somebody in return who's going to help them and be under control, it's going to cost. Fair enough. All right, I got three more for you, and one of them kind of piggybacks off a very similar thing. This one is Kyle Seeger and your dude, Taiwan Walker, for Sean Newcomb and Braden Shoemake. Not a chance that happens. But would you, but would uh, you do, would it? do it? <laughs> I would do it for sure. I wanted, I wanted the Braves to sign Taiwan Walker. I know Tywin you did. I know. That's, that's why I now, included that one. The thing on Tywin Walker is he's only in control through this year. There's there's nothing like you're talking about acquiring a guy for one month, which that should lower the prospect capital. But again, Seeger, while he has a fair bit of money and he's gonna make more money if he's traded, he's not playing so badly that you can just give him away for, for nothing prospects either. Like and Shoemake's not a nothing prospect, but I, I'm pretty staunch that I don't think Sean Newcomb has a ton of trade value. Like I think if you're talking about a three player trade, you were talking about Tarnock maybe shouldn't just be considered a throw-in. I think Sean Newcomb would be the throw-in. I think that's no. I think that's absolutely fair. Walker's interesting, and I'm not saying this by the way. I'm not saying this to be mean to Sean Newcomb. I know there's a lot of Sean Newcomb fans here. I, I know it comes across like we're just hating on him. It's just where he's at right now. You do have to consider track record when you do this. And if you're calling a guy a a change of scenery type of guy, what you're saying is he's a lottery ticket, and that, that's kind of what Sean is. Fair enough. Well, from one AL West team to another, uh, this one, excuse me, that last one came from uh, at Doty 47 Thank you for the question. This one is from BJ Barton, 2007. Dylan Bundy traded just this offseason from Baltimore to the Angels for Alex Jackson, Patrick Weigel, friend of the program, and Bryce Wilson. Uh, uh, it's just so weird for me to say this, but I would do it. I, I never thought I would say that I would trade for Dylan Bundy. Uh, and I don't I, – I, the, the change for Dylan Bundy this year has been incredible. It's weird that I'm actually consider like I'm talking about a trade for Dylan Bundy and saying that the team that already has him might think that that's an underpay. Like the Angels might be looking at it and be like, we want to get Mike Trout in the playoffs, and Dylan Bundy 
is the only pitcher we've had that's been worth anything for like the last 10 years. Uh, I think I would probably do it. When you're looking at Bundy, the strikeouts are up. The walks are way down for him, which has been kind of the main thing. And he's pitched – his FIP is a little worse than he is ERA, but his FIP's a 333. Like This is the type of Dylan Bundy that people were expecting when he got drafted so highly. I mean, I would do that. Um, I'm not quite certain the Angels would right now. I think they would want – if you sub out Bryce Wilson for, for maybe a different prospect maybe or if you – if you, this is a hard one to do. I would do it, and, and because it's hard, I think it's pretty close value wise. I just think the Angels are a little bit more concerned with trying to sniff the playoffs at some point. I don't think they're really looking to to deal for guys like that. But I, if the Angels, if the Angels were willing to do it, I would probably do that deal. I think I would too. I would probably even be willing to give up slightly more than that if if that's what it took. And, and not even that. I mean, Bundy had all the promise in the world when he got drafted and he like he and Hunter Harvey, like the entire Orioles system was full of guys that were like super talented, but just couldn't figure it out. And it took Bundy getting out of Baltimore. Well, part of the reason why he's having a better season is because he's not pitching in Baltimore. We always like to make fun. Exactly. Yeah. We like to make fun of Philly and Cincinnati and, and Yankee stadium for being like this big. So it was Baltimore. So oh, see, you're attacking that from a different way. I was attacking it from the fact that Baltimore is a horrible organization that until Farhan Zaidi got in there, like, and not far on Zaidi, he's with the Giants. I don't know what I'm thinking, but until, Mike Elias, yeah, Elias. Uh, until like this past year, until Elias took over, they did not have an analytics department. They yeah. did not have an international scouting department. Like that was the that organization was literally 30 years behind everybody else. So it's 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 not surprising that Bundy's done better. I mean, the Angels traditionally suck developing pitchers, and Bundy's had a really good year. I worry he'll turn into a pumpkin. But that's not a gigantic deal. So that's something that I think I could stomach that. And I think the fact that it makes me think so much, I think that that's, that's pretty close to fair. You probably have to give up a little bit more, but I think that's certainly doable. Yeah, I, I think so. And and you're right. In any of these guys, you still run the risk that they are, they're going to either turn into pumpkins or they, they will respond differently to the new environment, to the new parks, to the new league. Maybe not quite as stark since there's the DH in both leagues now. This this is always the risk that you run, and if you you know you trade Bryce Wilson, who is one of the the components of this deal, I know that he's out of favor with a lot of Braves fans right now, but he's still only twenty two. You still run the the possibility that he turns into a star with the Angels, even if they do suck at developing pitchers. So, for every deal where you look back at it and it just wound up being a giant nothing burger, you do have those Adam Wainwright deals, you do have those Mark Teixeira deals that that hurt, and you hold on to those. But for the most part. Like, does anybody want to tell me how, like, Brett Cumberland is doing in Baltimore since they got traded for Kevin Gossman? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? By the way, friend of the program, Bruce Zimmerman, is going to get called up soon. That's my dude. Still love the mustache. So, okay, we got one last one last trade proposal for you, Dylan, and this is a name that I was surprised that we actually did not hear more. This uh, question is from Jeremy Timmerman at JTim84, and that is... Kyle Wright and Johan Camargo for one year and one month of Texas Rangers right-hander Lance Lynn. I would do that in a heartbeat. I think it takes more than that, quite honestly. Um, I, I love Lance Lynn. I, I've been on the Lance Lynn train for the last year and a half or so. Lynn is such a, a fun guy to watch because he's he's that rare outlier that all he does is throw fastballs. He lives off of his fastball, and all he does is throw 100-plus pitches Every single outing, and he's got like he's he looks like he he looks like a white Bartolo Colon. Like he just keeps getting rounder and rounder and rounder. But the rounder he gets, the better he pitches. Like, I remember when he was with the Cardinals, and he really wasn't all he was cracked up to be. He was significantly behind Michael Waka, and it's taken him a little bit because he used to have problems walking people. But now he doesn't walk people. He strikes out a ton of guys, and he's so good at spotting his fastball. He's one of these pitchers that figured out something that works, and there's no way being a one-pitch or a two-pitch starter should work, but it works for Lance Lynn, and it works in a home-run haven in Texas. I would do that deal 
easily. I think it's going to cost more than Camargo and Wright. You're going to have to replace Camargo with somebody of a little bit more value. I think Wright is a good name to, to go there for Lance Lynn. Uh, I also think Lynn would be an immediate extension candidate. People sleep on Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn was a dark horse Cy Young candidate last year. I believe he, po- he posted six war or just above six war last season. So I, I'm all on board with Lance Lynn. Yeah, he was the guy that we kept looking at the leaderboards like well into July and August saying, okay, what happened here? Is this is this like, one giant typo? Yeah. When did this happen? Like, yeah. When did this become a thing? And it, it, it just kept going. By the way, Jeremy, thank you for saying Lance Lynn and not saying Mike Miner. We did have a couple of Mike Miner questions, but we're gonna we're gonna blow right by those. And and I will say that, and this goes back to what we were talking about before. And I know, I know we got to get out of here in just a second because we've been going for an hour. But once again, 2021, you get a guy like Lance Lynn, you add it to Max Freed, a Mike Soroka that comes back, and then I am gonna go ahead on record and say that I think the Braves are gonna sign Marcus Stroman to a one year deal this offseason, just because it makes all the sense in the world. Um, that is a stout top four, and as we saw this spring training, just having good pitchers is not necessarily enough, but you keep stockpiling the firepower. The odds of having two consecutive years like this, just in general, but particularly from a baseball perspective and from the Braves, like the injury perspective, the odds of having two straight years like that are not, well, they're not as good, we'll just say. So if you can run out a top three of Freed and Lynn and Soroka going into the playoffs next year, that's solid. That's really, really solid. And and Stroman too in my in my uh, pie in the sky scenario. So not just solid. That's really, really excellent. That's yeah. That's really stout. And you know the other thing that Lance Lynn does that I always hoped would happen when Dallas Keuchel was here. That beer. I watched a little bit of t- uh, Texas against San Diego last night, and Lance Lynn's beard is just huge. It's the only thing bigger than his belly. And so I want that type of guy to show up here and just inspire everybody to just grow their beards. I just want to see Ozzy with a giant beard. I want to see Freddie Freeman with a giant red beard. You know, everybody just follow Lance Lynn's lead. Get fat and grow a giant beard. Hey, fat and happy, man. More cushions, not always just for pushing. Bingo. Sometimes it's for shoving. Oh, dude. (laughs) That's, That's very inappropriate. Now I'm also I know I know we want to get out of here soon, but I'm a little bit shocked you didn't ask me about Plezak and Clevenger, or even Trevor Bauer, which I see in the show sheet. You know, I think I think that when you're looking at those guys, there's been such a premium that has been placed on clubhouse chemistry and good guys that all of this stuff that happened with them. And you pointed out to me that you'd be more interested in Plezak than you would with Clevenger, and I that video that Zach Plezak put out was just. Despicable. It's a bad look. It's a bad look, and, it, and it very, yeah. it's very much tone deaf. But it's also the first time Plezak has has done something like that with Clevenger. Everybody can see the talent with Mike Clevenger, but unless you kind of followed him in his rise up and and really kind of pay attention to to people out there in Cleveland, Clevenger's not. I'm not going to get into specifics on here because it's not my place to talk about, but. He's not very well received off the field. Like, I am not surprised that teammates are are kind of drawing a line in the sand on Mike Clevenger. People think Bauer's a problem. Clevenger is generally thought of as being as abrasive as Bauer, while also kind of having a a bad personality to go with it. And I don't want to get too much deeper into that. You guys can do some research yourself and figure it out. Please, Zach. He's young, and he's an idiot. But he's a really good pitcher, and it's not for him. It's like the first time offense. It's not something that I don't think he can come back from. Fair enough. I I just I don't know Bauer, if I see. By, by the way, with Bauer, the Reds aren't trading Bauer. The Reds are not going to trade. They're not going to sell everybody. They're looking. This is the first time the Reds have a real shot at making the playoffs. They're not trading anybody. The, having the sixteen team playoff instead of having ten really does change the calculus. Like, the the Reds are in fourth place right now, but they're a game out of second place. They could turn it around, or they could crater. You know, and that's why that's why you see teams in, in these types of landscapes that will wait until the last possible second to pull the trigger on a deal. You know? So, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I still think that if he's interested in one-year deals this offseason, he could be a Braves target. But since he's just doing one-year deals, he's going to want very, very maximized value one-year deal. So you're looking at like one year and 38 million 
or something like that. So if he continues the way he's going this year, you're looking at probably one year and twenty two, twenty five million. God, it's gonna be lot. the Darrell Revis of MLB. Well, I mean, he's he's certainly earned it through the numbers and the the most recent antics with the free Joe Kelly cleats. Man, it's not like Anthopoulos is super nervous about taking a chance on divisive guys. I mean, he brought in Donaldson, he brought in Batista, he tried to bring in Puig. I mean, these are all guys with that have histories with that type of thing. But Trevor Bauer, he just don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? That That's a dude that just is looking to burn it down all the time. So maybe he fits, maybe he doesn't. Whatever. I, I've, I, we'll talk about this next week once we have a little, little bit clearer indication of whether we have more buyers and more sellers. So everybody's hanging on. Everybody thinks they can make the playoffs this year. Yeah, and, and with half the league making it, starting pitching is at a premium. So I, I do think that the Braves are going to look at deals. I, I still, going into this, I thought this, and leaving, I still think the same thing, that the most likely deal to happen is going to be Marco Gonzalez, and Kyle Seeger. It fits Alex's MO. Marco's a guy that doesn't walk people, but he's not a super elite guy, so it's not going to cost everybody. He can take on Seeger's money, but because the Braves have, you know, 75 million coming off the books, they can absorb Seeger's contract. You consider that at some point Cole Hamels is expected to return. Now you start thinking about, you know, a rotation with Freed and Hamels and Marco Gonzalez, and you start thinking, all right, this is a rotation that I can stack up. It might not be the best rotation in the world, but they can get me to my bullpen, and my bullpen is one of the best bullpens in baseball. So I think I think that the Marco Gonzalez-Kyle Seeger deals are the most likely to happen. 100% agree. 100%. By the way, nobody asked me what mine would be, but uh, I felt pretty good with the one that I floated out there. I think that I'm still going to stick with, with that. I think I, I know I, a lot of people think that – the Mariners aren't going to trade Marco Gonzalez. I think Jerry Depoto would trade his mother if a good enough deal came by. He's much like Billy Bean in that respect. Um, I'm a, I, I'm not necessarily a, a guy that thinks Marco is is an amazing pitcher, but I think he fits a lot of what Alex likes. Good changeup, really features his changeup, which is something that Alex tends to love. Um, but I think you are looking at a, a fairly big deal. I mean, I think you're you're definitely going to have to deal one of the pitchers. I think you're you're giving up Riley as well because they're going to want a third base prospect to replace Kyle Seager. They're not going to win soon, and Depoto knows that. They've got you know Kyle Lewis under contract forever, which makes them look like geniuses. They've got Jared Kelenic. They've got um, uh, Julio, Julio Rodriguez. Rodriguez, who's an absolute animal. I do think that you'll you'll be looking at giving up. If you don't give up Austin Riley, you're giving up Drew Waters, and I think that. It's more likely that you're giving up uh, an Austin Riley, a Kyle Wright. Uh, I think you would send Ender as salary relief, but I think you'd also end up giving up somebody along the lines of a Kyle Muller as well. It's a big deal, and it, it's it's been almost three years since Anthopolis came over. It's uh, November will be three years, and we've all been kind of readying ourselves for that giant prospect trade. How interesting it will be if it happens when all when most of those prospects are like right bubbling on the cusp instead of just kind of super raw in the low minors or something. Absolutely, I think uh, I think there are deals to be made, and I think Alex will definitely explore them. We're never going to know if he actually is because Alex keeps his circle like three people, so we won't know until after it's actually happened until they announce it live on air. But until then, we'll be watching the game. Can't wait to watch Christian Pache's debut. I know you guys can't either. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Sorry that we had to had some issues last week, but we hope you enjoyed the extra long edition of the Platinum Sombrero. This week, we'll be back again next week, I promise, right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Mm-hmm.